This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. Lord, we ask you to bless uh, your word here this morning as we look in Luke, uh, Luke's gospel and as we continue looking at the process of growth. Father, we know that you are taking us from and moulding us into the image of Christ, taking us from one degree of glory to another. And Father, we ask you that you would strengthen our faith and cause us to be moulded into the image of Christ, that we might be uh, your image bearers in this world to those that are around us. We praise you and we thank you in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. So Luke 9, we're looking at the process of growth. There are some of the subjects that we have looked at in recent weeks um, and today we want to have a look at discipleship and not in the uh, usual sense of discipleship which is um, often introduced to people as simply being placed alongside a, to use the modern vernacular, a mentor. But we want to have a look at what a disciple is and uh, and consider this from the angle or, or from a different angle because a disciple is one who first maintains the fellowship of the cross and this fellowship with the Lord that is centered on the cross of Christ leads to this one then be, being a disciple. He is discipled and, and becomes a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a lot of emphasis placed in, in our generation on men discipling men, and this is a good thing, there, there is value to that, but the heart of a real disciple maker should be that we're pointing people to the cross so that people become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, when we fail in preaching the fellowship of the cross, when we fail in centering the cross in the life of the Christian, we will fail in discipleship because discipleship will at that point at best become the mimicking of another person rather than walking in the way of the cross. The atonement of the cross is often preached uh, in Christianity, often preached in churches. But one thing that is many times neglected is the fellowship of the cross and this must must equally be preached because you and I, it's a requirement of our Christian lives that we embrace the cross ourselves and take that cross with us. Take it up and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a clear characteristic of true discipleship. Now Christ is the answer. Amen? But the cross is needed for you and I to be molded into his image in a day-to-day walk with him. Before we get to Luke 9, Hebrews 12, one of my favorite passages, says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every weight, or as the New American says here, every encumbrance, and the sin 
which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility of sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the one we're to fix our gaze upon, that we should be looking in Scripture as to the way that Jesus Christ went about his walk to the cross, and that is to be the model and the example for our lives as to how we're to go in the cross-bearing life as well. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus is our leader in spiritual progress. Amen. So Luke 9, and we'll begin at verse 21. You can go back and, and get the context of this. We don't have time to develop that because our focus is on the remaining verses. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. This, to the ears of the disciples, would have been a great shock as they were coming into a revelation. They'd just been asked who he was. And uh, as they came into that revelation of Jesus Messiah, this would have been a great shock to them to hear that he, as the Messiah, as the one they were looking forward to, the anointed one, was going to be taken away from them by their religious leaders in such a barbaric manner as the cross, that he must be killed and be raised up on the third day. This is the atonement of the cross. And so let's continue, because we often talk about that. The gospel is centered on the atoning work of the cross. But discipleship is centered on you and I embracing the fellowship of the cross. That we take up our cross daily and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you, truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, it's true that you and I struggle and fail, and we we learned about that, and those failures are rooted in our own self-effort, actually, that when, when we live our lives for ourselves and we even may think we can make some kind of grand achievement in and of ourselves. But this failure uh, is often the fruit of a very willful march 
into sin in our lives. But God uses these very failings. He uses this to corner us, so to speak, and to drive the genuine believer into a place where he will yearn for a victory over that sin. Yearn to find the answer to that continuous failing. And it's then that the Lord will steer them in the direction of true deliverance, which is found at the cross. That when we identify with Christ at his crucifixion, that identification that brings us into God's saving grace, this through the subsequent victories and defeats that we will have in the in the Christian life as time goes on, will bring us to a place where we hunger to walk in true freedom. And that hunger is that is a hunger to experience freedom for freedom of fellowship with the real answer to all of life's dilemmas, which is the uh, fellowship with the risen Lord and Saviour Jesus. One man said, nothing can set us apart for God. Nothing can make us holy except as the cross is working in us because the cross alone can keep the hindrances to holiness in the place of death. The cross alone can keep the hindrances to holiness in in the place of death. So it is only as you and I daily take up the cross, moment by moment. It's not just a declaration in the morning, Lord, today I'm taking up the cross with you. It's a, It's a living in that lifestyle of being willing to bear the cross in rejection all day, every day. And that's a challenge to us because all successful work that you and I can experience, that you and I can be a part of, and when I say successful, I'm not talking about successful by the measurements of of, um, some fake and hysterical faith uh, declaration, you know, that it was successful because it reached markers A, B or C, you know, financial and numerical and attendance records or whatever it may be. You know, all successful works for the Lord at the, at the back of that is the Holy Spirit who is working in us that He would bring us to a place where we resign from self-effort and we place our trust in Him. And even when that means that we have to die to self in those moments, not receiving any glory to ourselves, but that all glory would be steered to the Lord. In this, the Holy Spirit is then reproducing Christ in us. And as we know from previous weeks, this is God's predetermined purpose for us. That he has predestined that you and I would be transformed that God would continue this work of shaping us more and more and more into the image of Christ Jesus, from glory to glory. The cross, 
you've you've all seen you know um, what a brand is in and the cattle ranches of uh, bygone eras. The they still do it in in some places. Uh, they would allow cattle to mingle on a plane and uh, and forage during uh, certain seasons. And so before they did that, often they would brand the cattle and heat up a brand in the fire and it would have the uh, the brand of that cattle station or farm, as we'd say here in Australia. And, um, and uh, you know, the cattle station, I think the the Americans call it a cattle ranch. And so we'd have the, the brand on the cattle uh, and before... Our um, crazy governments took the cattle out of the high country. That's what, what farmers did just in the high country here in Victoria. They branded the cattle and they let them roam into the high country and it was a great blessing to the high country, fertilising and keeping weeds away and, and keeping the uh, under foliage down, which helped prevent um, severe fires uh, and stuff like that. And then they would bring them down out of the high plains and they would separate the cattle by the brand. And so the the cross itself is a brand to the Christian life. The cross is what marks you and I as believers. It's when you and I walk in the way of the cross, we feel the searing pain of that decision. But we are marked as being his children. You see, there is pain and death that comes with the cross. Because when you're in a place of employment and to stand up for Jesus is going to cost you in alienation from the people in your workplace or termination or cost you in some benefits at work because you're marginalized for standing up for Jesus. You are there feeling the branding influence of the cross in your life. But that is what discipleship looks like. That is Truly, what being a disciple of the Lord really is. That you and I are carrying in us that searing of the brand of the cross in our lives. And there is pain associated with that. It's not painless. But, it is by the cross we entered the Christian life at great pain in the Messiah's life. Father, if it at all be possible, let this cup pass from me. That was a an earnest, pleading prayer, followed by the statement, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that is the part of the cross we embrace. Not my will, but thine be done, is the cross-centered life. Laying down our will To die to self is what Jesus means when we take up the cross and follow him. And that's how you become a disciple. How does does someone who is isolated from the rest of Christianity in a persecuted nation ever get discipled if you and I need to put them in a mentoring workshop? To use the modern vernacular. They can be a disciple of the Lord in his word. I have a dear friend who uh, lived in Turkey on and off for the best part of 10 years for, for between six and nine months a year, living in the caves in Cappadocia, trying to reach people with the gospel 
And he and one other person in a region with a population of over a million people were the only believers that he knew of for that entire 10 years. How does someone maintain their strength and their faith in Christ Jesus if if it requires that they come to a church service and get pumped up and then pushed out the door to come back and be pumped up again the next week, if they need that, they're not going to survive in what is about to come upon us. Your faith is greatly strengthened as you take the simplicity of walking with Christ and taking up your cross, remaining in his word and living for the honour and the glory of his name. Not my will, but thine be done. That's the heart of the cross-centred life. Now, Jesus was not ambiguous with this, was he? Take up your cross. If any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. Luke nine twenty three, Luke fourteen twenty seven. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, put yourself back. You know this is this is part of the process of. Um, uh, the theological work of biblical interpretation. Let's move away from Cranbourne West 2019. Go back to biblical Israel in at the that turn of the millennia where Christ was walking with his disciples. Those people knew exactly what he what he meant when he said, "Take up your cross." They had seen crucifixions coming into Jerusalem, lining the roads, when when people would be in rebellion against the Roman authorities. They knew the horror of crucifixion. And it, it does not matter the, the shape of it, whether it's this, uh, like the traditional look of the Christian cross, or whether it's the, this idea of being crucified on a single stake, which is possibly a lot more likely, uh, it, it does not matter. It's the same effect. You know, people get so hung up on these kinds of things. Jesus was crucified. Now, why did Jesus say, whoever does not carry his cross, his own cross, and come after him, cannot be his disciple? The answer is simple, and that is simply that your uncrucified self will not do that. But the taking up of the cross to follow Jesus results in a death to self. And it results in newness of life in Christ Jesus. You see, a disciple is a Romans 6.11 believer. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's free from the old. But 
in being free from the old by taking up the cross, he is free also for the new. Free from, free for. And for this, Jesus clearly states that each one of us must take up the cross. It's not up to, you know, the super Christian in the church to be the example of, you know, that whole entire church's congregation, uh, you know, that, oh man, we're, we're so spiritual. We've got brother so-and-so in our church and he's been missionary to, you know, the, the Pango Pango people and, and, uh, whatever it may be. He's just been the one who has, has modeled superior Christianity and he goes to our church. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about us hiding behind the efforts of another. He's talking about you and I understanding that the the way in which we most glorify the Lord is when self is crucified and we walk in that newness of life with him. And that's true discipleship. It doesn't depend in, in that way. Now we, we know we edify one another and we build one another up and we lift up those who are downhearted. We cry with those who are mourning, etc., etc. These are all spiritual injunctions. But in this way, you become a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And in that then, you will fulfill the obligations of scripture with did I, obligations, you, you will, you will feel, fulfill the obligations of scripture because we are obligated in scripture. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has foreordained that we walk in. So by taking up the cross-centered life, you and I then are able to fulfill those scriptural obligations which includes obligations to one another as body members. Let's first think about how not to take up the cross. Now, Andrew Murray, um, fantastic book, not the tennis player. We, we keep reminding people he's not the tennis player. He may have played tennis, We can't deny that. Andrew Murray may have played tennis. But Andrew Murray, the great Christian thinker and theologian, um, thinking is something that is, that, that is vanishing from the Christian realm. And, and, uh, today we, we call them philosophers, but I think many of them would have called themselves thinkers, uh, or have been called thinkers because this is what they did. They pondered scriptural ideas. And this is why scripture calls us to meditate on it because in the meditating over it, the thinking over of a passage, that it's in that that God begins to unlock the truths of that passage to you. Well, Andrew Murray said, Christians need to understand that bearing the cross does not in the first place refer to the trials which we call crosses. You ever heard people say that? You know, you, you talk with them and you, you start to say, you start to speak with them maybe about a besetting habit. Some might call it a sin. And, and you ask them, you know, why do you do, oh, oh, this is, this is my cross to bear. That's not, that's not the cross to bear. 
That is hanging on to self, actually. That's hanging on to self because this is what self feeds off. This is what self wants. Christians need to understand that bearing the cross does not in the first place refer to the trials which we call crosses, but to the daily giving up of life, of dying to self, which must mark us as much as it did the Lord Jesus, which we need in times of prosperity almost more than adversity, and without which the fullness of the blessing of the cross cannot be disclosed to us. You see, so many Christians who, when they go through periods of adversity, the cross-centered life is no struggle to them. They're living right in it. And in those times, although they cry out to to the Lord in yearning for relief, often followed by that prayer for relief is, not my will, your will be done. But so many who get into times of prosperity and ease then find themselves turning away from God in those times because simply in that prosperity they are not walking the cross-centered life. It's not the prosperity that's the problem. It's the heart. And that's why Paul, that that is the true context of Philippians when Paul says and, and summarizes his statement by saying, I've abounded and I've abased, but I've learned in all ways. I've learned in all ways, in all conditions of life. That he can, in those stages of life, those states of life, that's when he can walk with the Lord, whether he's abounding or whether he's being abased. We must cease from confusing the words a cross with the cross because if you are taking up your cross, it results in a denial of the flesh. So we come into the Christian life through his cross and we find out that on the other side of that door into Christianity is our cross. One of the great tragedies of modern gospel preaching, if we could call it that, is it fails to present to people the the cost involved. It, It presents people with a gospel message that is about come to Jesus and receive this benefit program, you know, like like they've gone for a job interview and here's your salary and your conditions, your superannuation, your private health fund, you know, um, you get a you get a car and and you'll get a bonus uh, for reaching um, X in the key performance indicators, and that's how the gospel is sold to people these days. That if you come to Jesus, you'll receive all of these benefits. That's not what Jesus was advertising. Jesus was advertising, hey, I'm going to the cross to die, and if you want to be my disciple, that's your way too. No wonder the mass of crowds that followed in his second year of ministry were not there in the final year. 
You see, we need to lose sight of our cross, in a sense, in his cross. That we understand that our cross is to bear is not, oh, you know, I'm I, I married to the wrong person and this is my cross to bear. You know, that's, that's not the cross to bear. You're called to love that person. Our, our cross is, is that his death is our death. And by faith in his death at the cross, his resurrection is our resurrection. His life is our life. His will should be transforming our will. His resurrection, in fact, his risen life becomes our newness of life. And we walk then in a new life and we are no longer that old person anymore. Stoicism is not analogous to bearing one's cross. What do we mean by this? You can look back, you can go back to my mum's generation. Born in uh, just prior to the Great Depression. Those people grew up hard, not hardened, toughened by the circumstances of life, and they prided themselves on being stoic, that life's circumstances would be thrown at them and they would tough it through. They would make it through. But And, and that was called stoicism, and stoicism it can be very virtuous, but people can take pride in their stoicism and many people are very stoic. Um, Marcus Aurelius was a great champion of stoicism and one of the, uh, you see him in the beginning, beginning of the movie Gladiator, there's a character based on Marcus Aurelius. He was a wise man in so many ways, but stoicism does not necessarily equate itself with being a cross-bearer because stoicism can bear things because they must be born and not necessarily see the joy of the Lord through that circumstance, but instead take pride in self for bearing that. Taking up the cross may or may not involve such behaviours as being stoic. Things do not constitute the cross. Things such as a deprivation or a, or a hardship of some kind, a rejection by people, these don't necessarily constitute the cross. The believer's cross is the cross of Calvary. And when you and I understand that at that cross we were crucified with him, and when therefore we willingly take up that cross to follow in his selfless example, then those points of conflict in life, those rejections, those difficulties, these things that we face, 
actually are just part of the cross-centered life. They're just the, the side issue to dying to self. Paul said in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's at the cross that the eternal emancipation proclamation was made. You all know about the emancipation proclamation uh, made, I I believe, by Abraham Lincoln at uh, the Gettysburg Address, was it? No? Separate to that? It's the paper afterwards, isn't it? The Declaration of All Men Being being Declared to Be Free. And, um, And so they emancipated the slaves... Uh, in that, but the cross is the eternal emancipation proclamation for all of us that we are taken out of the slavery of sin to become, as the, the Greek surname suggests, Christodoulos, the slave of Christ. That's what we become, the slave of Christ. Every believer is freed from the bondage sin and its ravages by that cross. Not every believer is aware of this liberating truth. You see, this is the this is the paradox of Christianity that true freedom for the, for the Christian is found by us yoking ourselves to Christ as slaves of Christ. That's where true freedom is found. And so it's true that uh, the intellect is stumbled by the cross. You know, the the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who laud themselves as being intelligent. But the real antagonism that the cross creates is that of a moral antagonism. Because what the cross really confronts is not the intellect, What the cross really confronts is morality. It puts a dividing line down and it says, sinners yonder, look on this perfect man because that's what you should be. You should be like this sinless one and you're not. And so as a result of that, as a consequence, all of humanity, you and I, all of us, are under the punishment for our sin. And the cross confronts that and it assaults the intellect for sure because people wrestle with this idea of how a loving God could allow his own son to be crucified. But the main antagonism is really a moral one. And even believers will wrestle with that. we will still resist taking up the cross in our lives. And we see the pain of that when we do resist. One man said, the divine way, the way of the cross, for spiritual emancipation is just as offensive to the child of God as the divine way for salvation is to the lost. It's hard sometimes to be faced with having to take up the cross and deny ourselves. 
to follow Christ. And many is the person who has faced all kinds of uh, challenges as a result of taking up the cross. All kinds of difficulties. So what is the cross really? The cross, as we know, is a place of death and this is the reason for our hesitation. I think it's Ray Comfort who says, I'm not afraid of dying, but you know, it's how we die that sometimes is it's a little less welcoming, you know. Um, as the the old joke goes, when I die I want to die in my sleep like my grandfather, not like the passengers in the car with him. And and so, you know, for the believer, dying is is not so much the problem, but the cross-centered life can be a challenge because that's a death we die with full cognition, with full willingness. That's a death to the things we enjoy. That's a death to this, the stuff that this flesh <coughs> enjoys. Isn't it? So the Lord allows then what happens is as we see the the need for us to take on the cross-centered life and as we battle with that in the flesh, until we yield to that cross-centered life, we will be frustrated. We will choose our own path. We will fail. Uh, we will face uh, sin and its challenges and will often be defeated by that sin in various different forms, whether it's in attitudes or whether it's in the grossness of, of horrific sinful choices. And in this, God allows us to come to a place where these constant failings and sinfulness becomes in us a yearning for that cross-centered life to set us free from that bondage again, just like when we came to Christ when we got saved. When, when we came to that awareness of sin and how do we remedy this? You see, when we're not walking the cross-centered life and we're trying to satisfy self, we realize the things we're satisfying are not really our needs, our true needs. And so this desire to see our, our needs fulfilled will pressure us into taking up the cross and this is usually at the point in which self has just become so intolerable to ourselves. I've heard stories of people who have said, I despised myself so much, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. You know, they were being physically repulsed by themselves because they could see themselves just feeding their own appetite all the time and they had to lay that down to take up the cross. Jesus said that if we do not hate our own life also. Like that's strong language, isn't it? That we cannot be his disciple. I challenge you on that because I have a pretty strong feeling you and I love ourselves. And this is what the cross confronts us with. 
you know, it, it constantly confronts us with that. Because we're called to hate even, even that our love for others would appear to be like a hate in comparison to our love for God. This deep burden of self and hunger to be like Jesus. This is where this paradox is to be. This, this desire to satisfy and feed self with all the pleasures we can muster up. And when we see how unsatisfying that is, and when we see how contrary that is to the will of God, the cross then stands on the other side of that. And we have to forsake that and embrace the cross. And that's when crucifixion becomes attractive. Because we no, want to, no longer want to live to self, we want to live to the glory of God. Well, at this point, the cost seems as nothing. When you and I have see how deplorable we are, the cost to take up the cross and follow Christ and the shame in the world's eyes that this will bring with it will seem as no cost to pay because the cost has been paid by him. Remember, we read from Hebrews before, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Hebrews 12, 2. And is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Weymouth translation says that the Lord Jesus patiently endured the cross. Something to consider. The attitude of the Apostle Paul was so similar. He said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He also admonished us, let this mind or let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was this attitude? That he would come and serve people even to the point of death. And then Paul, to underline that, says, and that death, the death of the cross, the most humiliating death in the Jewish mind. A painful and torturous death. So we, as we begin to take up the cross, that's when our true liberation is found in anything. In all the Battles that you face of attitude, that, that, maybe that, uh, maybe you have a, a short temper to those around you who, who you know you love and you know love you, but this short temper comes to the surface. As you deny that flesh, you're taking up the cross to be more like Christ in that. And there's a true liberation in that. Yeah, your pride is on the line for a moment. But then you realize that it just was not worth hanging on to in the beginning. So it's our needs that drive us in that direction. One man, Adolf Safir, I came across this quote. He said, the narrow path commencing with the cross, you have died with Christ ending with the glory of the Lord Jesus, is the path on which the Lord draws near and walks with his disciples. 
What did Paul say? It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. That's that's a crucified life. You know, we, we can sing that as a, a, a cute little ditty almost in, in the, the tunes in church. It's a, it's a wonderful song. It's no longer I that liveth. It's a wonderful song. But we can sing the words without pondering the meaning. Go back to meditating on scripture. Because, because Paul, Paul said, it's no longer I that live. I'm dead. Christ lives in me. This is, he taught about this all the time. That is actually the real meaning in Ephesians when Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, be under the control of the Spirit at all times. Don't be under the control of alcohol. I mean, we could debate, should Christians drink? We can debate that. That's a debatable topic in moderation, possibly. But in drunkenness, never. Never. Drunkenness is sin. It is sin and it leads to a place where a person is not under the control of the Holy Spirit. They're under the control of alcohol. So, you know, if you, if you can control that drink and you can stop before you get drunk, whatever measure that is for each individual, etc., etc., blah, 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 who cares about it? Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. End of story. That is sin. Oh, but I feel good. Too bad. I feel good doing lots of sin. Otherwise I wouldn't do it. That's the nature of sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof is death. Now that's something to think about, because if the end of death is sin, you're going to die anyway. Die to it now. Let it go. Walk the cross-centered life. Ah, It really... The, the whole alcohol thing really bugs me. It's not the only thing in the Christian world that is off the scale, but there's so many people who teach uh, a, a form of eternal security, and it's a wrongful form, who, who literally are drunkards. And I've seen them. You can't teach that and behave like that. It's wrong. Man, that's a distraction. But take a hold of this fact, Paul declared, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Take a hold of that. Make that a prayer point. Lord, teach me how to live that life of being crucified with Christ. Teach me how to continue to walk in that way. Oh, hallelujah. It's in this that Christ, by his spirit, takes up the exercise of the function of life and lives that in us as we yield ourselves for his purpose. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is true discipleship. True discipleship is not... Necessarily, it may include sitting around with with an older Christian and going through scripture and learning those things. Yes, that can be part of it. But to be a disciple of Jesus at the very 
core of that issue, the cornerstone principle of that subject, being a disciple of Jesus, is being crucified to self. That we lay down our lives, not to take it up to ourselves again, but to let the Lord take up our lives so that Christ could be lived through us. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I know I got a little sidetracked there on drunkenness. But if you don't like that, then too bad. Explain it to God. It it cheeses me off that in public, especially Christians, shamelessly will get drunk. Shamelessly, without any sense of shame. And I have been to uh, places and weddings and, and, and different things, Christian weddings, where, where the believers were getting blotto. Uh, if, for those listening from overseas, it's an Australianism meaning drunk. And it's, it's just plain out shameful and cheeses me off. You can debate self-controlled drinking. Um, you know, I've known many believers who do have a glass of wine with their meal. Super debatable. You know, I, I don't think you can declare that as a sin. But drunkenness is beyond debate. And I certainly would not debate it with anybody. I'd just say, you take it up with God. Explain it to him why you think it's okay to be drunk as a Christian. And explain it to the people you cause to stumble then. Why you think it's okay to be drunk and cause them to stumble in your testimony. Yeah, that ticks me off. Praise God. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our beloved brethren who have been able to be with us uh, online, even though not here this morning. We thank you for the efforts of many, many Christians worldwide to begin utilizing uh, digital media so as to get your word out. Father, even the simplicity of this message We ask that you would spread it far and wide, Lord God. Let its influence be felt, Lord. uh, We praise you. We ask you, Father, that you would examine our hearts and help us, Lord, to grasp this idea of walking the cross-centered life. Lord, help us to grasp it. Give us revelation of indeed what it is to take up our cross and follow you daily and be counted your disciples. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for that wonderful example of Jesus. Lord, let the life of your Son dwell in us fully so that we might glorify you daily. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thanks for being with us. Just a reminder, uh, please keep your eye on our uh, website um, and... Uh, on the Facebook page uh, as well because we do some updates there. And if you're not on those things, that's okay. We're not asking you to join social media um, at all. Just keep in contact with us because it's sometimes hard to remember to contact everybody. If uh, gathering is forbidden, um, I'll be essentially doing this these streamings um, from 
uh, my office at home, it's pretty likely that we will end up down that road. New York and California have both been fully shut down. Uh, it's a stay-in-place order, shelter-in-place order, which literally means if you're visiting cousins at the time it was put in place, you have to stay there. Um, there's no choice. So this shelter-in-place order is in place uh, there. I, I imagine it's going to be here within the next week or two. Um, it, in some ways it would be foolish if it wasn't uh, put in place. So um, the problem is... Are we still streaming, Chris? Yep. The problem is that with the shelter-in-place orders and all this kind of stuff, there's a real erosion of social liberties, and the problem then becomes is that as they start removing the restrictions, it will never go back to where we were. And if you are old enough to go back to the 60s and 70s, you know that we're already a long way from those personal freedoms that, that were experienced right up until the early 90s and have been eroded away further and further since then in the name of security. So um, this obviously is all leading toward great opportunities for globalist uh, agendas to be put in place. And that is clearly uh, part of the process here as well as a collapsing of global, global economics. So that's where the real problem... The real problem is not in the virus, it's in the crashing of economies afterwards. That's where people are going to genuinely suffer. So praise the Lord. Thanks for being with us today. If you were... Following online, we appreciate you. God bless, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.